What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Telling you, bro, what's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more peggy Hey everybody, welcome back to Riff Raff. Greetings from beautiful Sapporo, Japan. I'm here in Japan right now with my wife and her family and hanging out. And I did a little work and recording and also now rest and relaxation. So um, it's been a while since I did a Riff Raff. Riff Raff, Isashibori Kite Kurete Arigato. Ima Nihon so thank you for listening. There's some of my bad Japanese. I've had this episode in the can since August when I recorded it. Hollow Notes were at the Forum in Los Angeles, and um, my friend Greg Fillingaines came out backstage, hung out, hadn't seen each other in a while. We worked together with Boss Skaggs starting back in 2008 and just kind of hit it off. We became cigar buddies for a while. But I hadn't seen him in a while, and it was great to see him, and um, so he he wanted to do this episode. I gotta say, it's probably one of the fi- most favorite ones I've done so far. Nothing to do with me. Greg's stories are just unbelievable. Wait till you hear this stuff. I mean, for those of you that don't know, unless you've been living under a rock, wait, even if you have been living under a rock, you've heard these songs. I mean, you know, Songs of the Key of Life, Stevie Wonder, he joined the band when he was 18. Beat it. Billy Jean, he's played on, he played on Off the Wall, he played on Thriller, Bad, classic Jackson 5 tracks even before that. He's worked with three out of four Beatles. He worked with George Harrison, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, David Gilmore, Phil Collins, Mick Jagger, Toto, Herbie Hancock, Donald Fagan. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface. So uh, he's also been music director for many, many uh, iconic artists, television shows. Uh, I think he's won an Emmy. You know, that's scratching the surface. So uh, we agreed. Greg agreed to do this, and he's, he, it was really kind of a busy day for him, as you'll hear midway through the interview. I, had, I actually went with him to his uh, his chiropractor appointment in Studio City in, Cal- in Los Angeles because he wanted to keep hanging out. And the second half of the interview is was done riding in the car, and it, it's got some great stuff. He talks about. Uh, Eric Clapton and you know David Gilmore and what it was like making um, Thriller with Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and uh, you'll hear some amazing stories about George Harrison all these guys. Anyway, I'm going to shut up. Thanks for listening. Let me know how you like this one. If you haven't already, 
give me a good rating on iTunes. There's plenty of other episodes now. We're on episode 31, which I can't believe. So I pull up to Greg's house, walk in, and he's getting some keyboard sounds. And his dog kind of, the dog wants to participate for a minute. But that's okay. He calms down. And here we go. Hope you enjoy. So here we go. We're gonna get some dog breath on the podcast. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, okay. okay. Sit, sit. All right, chill out. Sit. You're gonna sit and you're gonna be cool, right? Yeah. Okay. You excited, huh? I know. Me too. Me too. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs are great, man. Okay. Look. Come here. Sit down. Sit down. Sit. Sit. There you go. That's right. Okay. All right. I am sitting in Los Angeles with the one and only Greg Filling Gaines at his beautiful home. Well, is he here? Uh, hey, Greg. Oh, hey, hi. How are you? Hey, What's going on? Talked huh? him into doing this little podcast with me. Yes, it didn't take much effort yeah. at all. Well, thanks for carving out time. Thank you. And um, you're going to sit down? Boy. Yeah, this is my dog, Keeper, who decided to join us so he wouldn't bark at the wind downstairs so if you hear any panting it's not me it's the dog okay (laughs) just wanted to put a disclaimer out there well greg showed up last night played at the forum last night yes sir and greg was a vip guest (laughs) made his appearance (laughs) and then i said hey man what are you doing tomorrow you know and i hadn't seen you man it's been a long time Uh, several years uh, several years too many as far as I'm concerned but uh, you're always <clears throat> so wonderful and excuse me your lovely wife you two invited um, my then girlfriend who's now my wife Jory you know to your place in New Orleans and we had traditional soba that's right a traditional noodles. New Orleans yes. Japanese cold soup <laughs> exactly I remember that my mom was there that's yeah. the last time I saw you man yeah, yeah I think so And uh, but it was a wonderful meal that uh, I still remember, and uh, that's nice of you. So yeah, absolutely. You know, just a little backstory. I I met you, Greg, when I was we were working with Boss Skaggs together. For that yes, summer. sir. That was fun. That was a blast. Had a lot of epic cigar hangs. You know, absolutely. I get they're very uh, far and few between these days. Uh, I I just rarely get to do it. Uh, of course, having twin toddlers will do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the cigar no, smoke it. in the house is probably frowned upon. You know, we don't do that. And I wouldn't want that anyway. But uh, I, I rarely get the chance to go and have one. But, uh, you know, whenever the opportunity hits, I, I will, I'll do it for sure. Yeah. Well, that that time with Boz was fun, man, because, um, well, here, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll refresh your memory. Okay, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> this is a... Um, Goofing off at sound check. <laughs> now I don't know if I have you. I don't think I have you singing. This is where we all switched instruments. Yes, that's why it sounds so special. Now I don't have. 
No, I don't have. Greg does the best Boss Gags impersonation. <laughs> I don't know if he'll do it here. Boss probably won't hear this. It doesn't matter. You sure? Because I don't the, want to get in got, trouble. You've got the best clutched tenor impression. <laughs> I love it, you know. Well, the thing is, you just have to you have to start um, forming your 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 vocal cords. They just have to tighten up. <laughs> they just have to tighten up a little bit, and then. But it's it's a fine line between Boz and Kermit. So you don't want to oh, you don't want to get Kermit. Kermit. <laughs> you don't want to do that because that's too much of an exaggeration. So what happens is when you just sort of you know tighten up just enough, you'll get into that range where it's like babies and running around hanging with the crowd, <laughs> putting so your penis in the street, talking out loud. Saying you brought up this net. How much you done spent? Swear she must believe. Oh, heaven sent. Hey, boy. <laughs> Better come on back around. The sad, sad truth. The dirty low down. You know, and they sing the chorus and they go, I done talked they talk like that, you know. Well, Greg would do this at soundcheck, and Boz would just happen to show up and watch it. And yeah, not good. No, not good. Not good. He, uh, you know, you, you can get it. away with that, man. Well, I you may, could maybe. get away with it barely. You know, really, the first time I ever met you, but you don't remember this because we didn't really talk for very long, was when you were the music director on Vibe. Sinbad show. Oh yeah, I played yeah, there yeah. with Aaron Neville. That where was that? CBS? Oh right, it was CBS, it, it was, it was Studios. CBS. Yeah, and I, we did the taping, and I was oh, like, my "Wow, it's Greg Filling and, <laughs> and Quincy showed up, and I got a picture with Quincy that oh, day. Oh yeah, with Aaron, and nice. I was like in awe, oh, man. And then oh, cool. so anyway, here we are, like God knows how many years later. Oh, I know it's funny, huh? But man, you know, Greg, your resume is <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> as people listening to this know. So, I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you some, talk about some of the, I won't say highlights, because, man, there's, where do you start? <laughs> I have a few. Yeah. I have a few highlights, for sure, yeah. You you started out, you're from Detroit, or yeah. somewhere about there? Detroit. And then, was it a, a drummer gave a tape to uh, Stevie Wonder? That's how you kind of got out here right that's the the bare shell of the story okay. yes a very good drummer friend of mine who was first asked to audition for steve in new york uh <clears throat> back in 75 that's 19 and 75 <laughs> uh you know and so the night before he left i i went to his house obviously thrilled for him and you know we were just both excited and he's packing and stuff and you know we're talking but he insisted that i play some things on a cassette and he would deliver it to Steve. And so um, I thought this was incredibly generous and gracious of him, but that's just the kind of guy he was. And um, so I played some things, but I, I played a few songs of Stevie's <clears throat> the way he played them on his records. So uh-huh. I didn't kind of know that I sort of know how he thinks I can sort of relate to him musically and I remember one of the songs I played was You Are the Sunshine of My Life. And, and I played it as close to the way he played it on his record, on the original recording. I played it as, you know, as close as I could. And I played a couple other things. Another song I played was uh, Sun Goddess from Earth, Wind & Fire. That was popular at the time, that instrumental. Yeah. So I played a bit of that. And um, anyway, so it, it, my friend takes his tape the next day. And... You know, a bit of time passes. I it, I don't know how long. Maybe two, maybe three days. It seemed like an eternity. And then 
Uh, early one morning, my friend called me and said, Stevie wants to see you in New York today. Wow. That's exactly what I said. And um, so I go there and um, I get... Oh, well, first of all, on the way to the airport, I'm instructed to stop by Stevie Wonder's house to pick up one of his brothers. Wow. So now I'm inside Stevie Wonder's house. I'm yeah. going, okay, well, this is kind of cool. I'm inside Stevie Wonder's house waiting to pick up his brother Timothy. So <laughs> we both go to the airport and, you know, land in New York, go to the hotel, get settled, and then go to the original Hit Factory. Uh, and I'm sitting there on pins and needles. I'm really trying to be cool and making small talk with the engineer, and I'm just waiting and waiting, and hours go by. And finally... The elevator door opens, and you can see in the monitor him ambling out, you know, being led by his sister, Renee. Um, and, uh, you know, he walks in, and they say, Steve, uh, the kid's here, you know. And so he stands his hand, and he says, hey, how you doing? And that handshake changed my life, you know. And uh, he, we, we talked a little bit, had some small talk, and he, uh, he showed me... Um, uh, an unreleased track of his at the time. He wants to know if I could play it, you know, reproduce it. And, uh, uh, so it was a tune called Spring High, and it ended up going to Ramsey Lewis, even though he said he was going to give it to me, but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this was the first unreleased song of Stevie Wonder's that I ever learned, and it goes like this. Take two. One more time. Oh, come on, Greg. When's the last time you played this? It's, man? it's been amazing. a while. No, it's yeah. been a while. Okay. Okay, sorry. And take two. And one, two, three. day was more of the formal audition mm. and that's where I met everybody else in Wonder Love including Denise Williams who was in the band wow. at the time and I remember she was very frisky she would pass by me and pinch me on the butt <laughs> and nothing's changed like to this day I I just saw her like um, a couple months ago I did Dave Cosmos Cruise and she was one of the artists and she came up to me and pinched <laughs> oh, me on the butt man. so um uh, and, you know, it was between me and this uh, older-looking white guy that ended up being sent by Chick Corea. And I met him at a NAMM show several years back, and it turned out he was the guy, he was the other guy that was auditioning against me in Wonderlove. 
and uh, he was kind of the Pete Best of the. I, I don't. I, was well, he bitter like about it? Or? No, he was really sweet. His name is Mike. I can't remember his last name, but his name is Mike. And he's when I saw him in Nam, he says, "You know, I'm that other guy." Uh, like, oh, no, you're kidding me. So, um, uh, so it was between me and him, and I was, you know, doing my best to hang. But every once in a while, you know, certain band members would come up to me and go, "It's okay, you got it." Mm-hmm. And uh, so then it's it's uh, later in the evening, and I'm on my way back to the hit factory with Stevie and we're both in the car and he turns over and he says so how does it feel to be a member of Wonderlove wow just like that and I went are you serious he said of course because you know I started thinking about all these stories I heard about him being a practical joker and you never know if he's serious or not because he could throw some uh, some crazy jokes on you and I said well if you're serious then would you mind telling my mom? Because I figured, um, you're not going to lie to mom. Right. We get to the studio. I pick up the phone, dial the house, and hand the phone to him. And the first voice my mom hears is Stevie Wonder wow. telling her that he wants to have her son in his band. And he'll take good care of him and all that stuff. And this happened April 2nd, 1975, one month before my 19th birthday. I was going to say, you were 18 years old. Yeah, so. and one month before his 25th. Oh, wow. He was only 25 working on songs in the key of life. So roll that around in your head for a minute. And unfortunately, my friend, the drummer, did not get the gig, but he ended up with Roy Ayers. And it is very important for you to know and your listeners to know that that friend of mine was Ricky Lawson. Mm. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Well, he went on to do okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The only thing that's not okay is that he passed away. Yeah, I I heard that. Uh, And, uh, you know. Steely Dan, that was one of his last gigs he was doing, maybe? Um. That was wasn't that long ago, right? Steely Dan gig. I think so. I, I in the I, last ten years. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, uh, that's a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him and miss him dearly, and I'm really mad at him because he didn't have to go. Ricky was the kind of guy that you've heard of people that would give you the shirt off the. He really, literally would give you the shirt off of his back, and he cared about everyone else more than himself. Mm. And uh, he was negligent in taking care of himself health-wise in later years. Mm. So he suffered for that. But, Mm. yeah. Now, you ended up, did you play, you're on Songs of the Key of Life. Four songs. Four songs. What what are those songs? Well, I'm glad you asked that. uh, (laughs) I kind of know the answer. Well, well, you know, let's see, let's see, let's see. There's one one of them, one of them had to do with uh, the... The fact that uh, there's this there's this crazy uh, instrumental that actually was co-written by Michael Cimbello, and Michael uh, did the bit in the in the bridge section that had this crazy jazz line because he was uh, uh, heavily inspired by Pat Martino. Michael Cimbello was, you know, and so he came up with this crazy line that it was just impossible to play even on guitar much less any other instrument and turns out that Stevie couldn't play that lick Hmm. so I said well I can 
<laughs> so I ended up doing this. So that line. Ah. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm watching you. You're watching me, right? Wait, this is good. Shift there. You know, in my yeah. younger days, I could have done that in one take. <laughs> you're still doing it, man. What so, are you uh, my younger days. So that's one song. Another song is. song is a one of my favorites it's just so beautiful um, and baby that's you 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 made life history you brought some joy inside my tears So I did the string parts uh, on on a giant synthesizer called the Yamaha Dream Machine. And, you know, it was a very intimate moment because it's really just the two of us sitting side by side on this thing, wagging our heads. And um, uh, it's just, I'll never forget it. And then another one is... um, Oh. oh. Hanging my bed. Going away. So I'm on that, and it's the same kind of thing, you know, we mm. did, uh, you know, sort of the orchestration part. And then the fourth song is a little ditty that celebrated a very special moment in his life. And um, I was there to be a part of it because uh, the, the um, let's see my first two months in his band were spent in New York and Steve had a fantastic brownstone apartment you know in the city and everything and I remember uh, going up to one of the floors and looking down into this crib and seeing this precious little baby hmm. next thing I know there's a little song that came about as a result of that called isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she precious? Less than one minute. I can't believe what God has done. 
that's me on roads. Yeah, man. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Classic. So iconic. So wow. uh, those are the four, my friend. Wow. You're blowing my mind with this stuff, Greg. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty crazy, I have to tell you. And that's uh, what brought you out here to LA and you've been yeah. here ever since. Been here ever since because what happened was you know, again, the first two months were in New York, and they, and that was April and May of 1975. And then in June, it said, "Well, California is a place you ought to be." Mm-hmm. So we loaded up the truck and we moved to Beverly Hills. That is, <laughs> <laughs> swimming pools, movie stars. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, uh, you're even doing the interludes for me. It's great. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. And oh yeah, because you know I'm, I'm a full service <laughs> guest. You know we, we take yeah. And if you ever need, if you ever have downtime and you you have to you know uh, switch equipment, you know I can go. Uh, um, uh, I can do stuff like bumpers. Seg- oh yeah, a little segue. Sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, so that's how that happened, and that's how I started. <laughs> well, that's a. You were off to running start. <laughs> and when you got out here in L.A. in the set, that was 76, 75? 75. Man, it was like a different world back then. Oh, right? my goodness, yes. Because I'm right. Every time I come here, I'm thinking, man, if I could have been here in the 70s, it would yeah. be like a paradise. <laughs> well, it was. And, you know, in, in many ways it still is. But it, it was so different for me because... I had never been here. I'd never been to New York. Uh, I'm originally from Detroit, and I had I had experienced Europe at a young age, and um, I also went to Puerto Rico. So that was like the closest uh, in in geography to this, you know, right. as far as palm trees are concerned. Sure. You know, but I tell you, man, when we landed here. Um, we we left LAX and went in, right to a uh, a car rental place, like a luxury car rental place, and they said anybody with a license could get a car. <clears throat> so I ended up like driving this Mercedes. It was my first time <laughs> driving a Mercedes, and we're I'm following the motorcade and we're like driving through Beverly Hills and I'm looking up around at these palm trees in this gorgeous neighborhood and I'm going, you know, I can get used to this. Oh yeah, all right. Oh yeah. And I've been here. Ever, that's 43 years ago. Wow. That's older than you've been alive. alive. No, it's not. Older, but yeah. yeah, I was maybe a, a little toddler. You were a little then, toddler. Yeah, sure. I was alive. But man, I mean, I'm looking. I, I want to be conscious of the time. But we could easily talk for two hours just on oh, Stevie easy. alone. Oh, please, easily. And I mean, no. I, I, it's like the ultimate buffet. I'm trying to like, taste. <laughs> Get over yeah, there. No, I don't want to. You know. I don't want to spin everything on the Chinese section. You know what I mean? So I got to move on. Okay, we'll move on. But uh, there's always part two. All I got to say is a name, man, and we can do that. You know? Okay. So you're in L.A. Yeah. Uh, How did you get involved with the Jacksons and Michael Jackson? Oh, that. You know, Greg played on. uh, I mean, the ones I know off the top of my head. Yeah. Thriller. Yeah. Uh, Are you on Off the Wall? Yeah. Well, let me tell you how it started. Okay. Started with working with the Jacksons on Destiny. Okay. Uh, doing rhythm arrangements. <clears throat> and um, the the, uh, the first rhythm arrangement I did for them, uh, upon meeting them, was uh, a little thing that went like this. Like this. Baby, I 
inspiration for all that stuff was what would Stevie do mm-hmm. you know because I was still in this band and I remember you know hiring a couple other band members and we just knocked that stuff out and it was so much fun and so that was my introduction thanks to my dear friend Bobby Columbia who was uh, hmm. an exec there at he's CBS the one that the discovered time. Jocko exactly mm-hmm. exactly right and so um, he told me you know, he says you know you need to get more into arranging and I go well, I don't know I mean I'd done some arranging but he said, I think you should do more of that. And I go, well, I don't know. He says, well, actually, I do know you should, and here's who you're going to be doing it with. Next thing I know, I'm in a room with the Jacksons. Wow. And that's what started it. And then, um, you know, based on, you know, having worked more and more with Quincy, uh, the day came when I got the call to, to uh, you know, participate in the first solo record, which was Off the Wall. And so, yes, I did Off the Wall. And then came back to do another Jackson's album which was Triumph and then after that it was Thriller and Bad and Dangerous and you know man my head's swimming with so many questions when you do when you did like for instance Thriller yeah. okay did Quincy give the studio musicians uh, how does he usually because you've done a lot of records with Quincy does he give a fairly long leash or is he pretty specific in what he wants or did, did you like like for instance, any tune, did you just groove on stuff over no, and over until no, something felt no, right? No, no, no. He, he, the, the specifics were uh, from Rod Temperton. Okay. Rod's songs were extremely detailed, and every part Rod wrote, all those parts, Thriller, all those parts, all that layering, that's all from him. You know? Wow. And Quincy neither gave us a very long leash or he was never really restrictive. It was a, a very happy medium. And Quincy knew how to bring the best out of everybody. He understood everyone's strengths and weaknesses, and he always challenged everybody to be even better and set their personal bar higher. And he knew how to do that. And he never operated out of intimidation. He was always gracious and loving. And he always ate well, too. Mm-hmm. He always ate great food. Well, that's important. And Musicians are happy. Yeah. Good food. Yeah, yeah. And just lots of laughs between him and uh, the incomparable Bruce Fudine. Uh, engineer extraordinaire uh, it was just a blast man you know and Michael with his crazy self uh, did Michael have a lot of input on parts and things too did he would he go over and say stuff to you about making yeah. changes well I mean on his songs um, yeah he was pretty specific as well and he he just wanted to make sure that the stuff grooved you know I remember um, on Bad I believe uh, it was recording. I was recording the song um, "Leave Me Alone." You know that thing that goes. Uh, he just wanted it really, you know, really uh, definite like that. And it, you know, I doubled it with the string sound too. Mm. So you get. You know. really and I remember pop. him standing next to me grooving while I was recording mm-hmm. the parts. He was just like, you know, yeah. and that was fun, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a million memories there. 
It's funny, man. This morning I, I went back to uh, Melrose to get. I was telling you I had to get this jacket thing, and I'm in the Uber, and there's Beat It on the radio. <laughs> and you're on Beat It, right? I am. Uh, I'm on the, on the bridges playing like an electric piano. So, uh, yeah. And that was a long, long and I think the, I think the strings too. I did since wow. Strings, yeah. That stuff sounds so good, man. Even it today, does. it yeah. doesn't sound dated at all. It's that's just a testament to the production and the arrangement and the musicians and the song. Everything. Well, the engineer Michael, of course, was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, everything. The mix sounds just amazing. Man. Well, what Bruce did uh, at that time, he would he would record uh, the rhythm section, sixteen track, oh. and everything else on twenty four. So you had that extra punch. Because of the space, the you know, yeah, yeah. Because uh, there was more space on the sixteen track, so it just it wasn't going anywhere. That was the, the that was the foundation for everything else, and uh, you know that proved to be highly effective. <laughs> Is that Jr. or, or um, Ndugu on, on Beat It? Are you remember on Beat It or Billy Jane? Beat It. Um, on Beat It. Jeez, I can't. I can look it up. I was just curious if yeah. Ndugu's on Billy Jane. Okay. That I know. Um, beat it. I can't remember. Yeah, man. That's Why can't song. I remember? No, I, I'll look it up. That, that's, uh, there are people that know that stuff like the back of their hands. You know, There are people totally... right now listening to this going, I can't believe you don't know that, Shane. Yeah, you I know. You should but, have your research done before you even, you know, interview yeah. Greg Filling Gaines. Well, yeah. well, then you come and do it then. You know, Greg, you've you've had the role of MD music director for long, uh, many many big big time artists. You know, yeah. I mean, and it's of interest to me because that's my current role with Daryl and John. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's I always pick other MDs brains about because a lot of what the gig is is massaging egos, maybe maybe helping people. Absolutely, know, it's absolutely bring it's out the vision, but psychology. Can you? I'm like, I'm, I'm asking you now if you had. To, to describe to somebody how to deal because I've seen you do it man you're a master there's a reason <laughs> people hire you because it's a comfort thing not only are you a brilliant musician but it's a it's more than that it's like the psychology you make an artist feel comfortable I saw you work with Boz you know Boz doesn't do that with a lot of people he's kind of difficult you mm-hmm. know so I mean what do you think the secret to it is or is there a secret is it just a personality thing well it's 98% personality there's yeah. no question about it. Yeah. Easily. Um, there's a, a great amount of psychology involved and um, adaptability uh, to the artist's personality and their needs is, is paramount, really. It's quite important. Um, but also the ability to Definitely navigate your vision uh, along with the artist's vision, and you know the most important thing you can be is honest. Hmm. You have to be honest, um, and people smell bullshit a mile away. 
Mm-hmm. But if you're honest, uh, that goes a long way. And honesty may sometimes involve telling an artist something they don't want to hear. And they may get pissed. But they will always remember that you were honest. You know? Um, and, uh, you know, the, the more time you spend with that particular artist, the more uh, trust is involved. And, and there has to be mutual trust and mutual respect uh, artists knows that you respect them and you you totally support them and you want to make them feel comfortable and help them with their vision to the best that you can then that goes a long way uh, I would say uh, but definitely honesty and and not being uh, afraid to admit when you're wrong mm-hmm and this is the harder part not being afraid to you know convince an artist that you're right <laughs> yeah that's the trickiest one that can be tricky and it depends on that artist's personality too uh, depends on age status uh, you know uh, amount of ego you know all that kind of stuff uh, and it's a case-by-case situation. Now, you know, it's, there's no cookie-cutter approach to dealing with artists right. by far because they're they're different. And you have to go into each situation uh, with a clean slate, you know, uh, and, and just trying to understand um, the personality of the artist you're dealing with and the dynamics involved and, um, you know, who they... Uh, who their inner circle is, you know, who they trust. So. Yeah. And you want to be part of that. And so, uh, I don't know. Let's see, when you were MD for uh, Michael Jackson, you did a bunch of the big tours, right? They, um, we did the bad victory. tour, which was his... No, I, the victory was uh, when he was still with his brothers. And that was before me. But I did his first solo tour, which okay. was the bad tour. And then I wasn't planning on doing the dangerous tour, but I was called in to do that literally at the last minute because things weren't working out with the guy he had mm-hmm. and I remember rolling up to Universal Studios <laughs> the movie studios we had a huge uh, set you know I was rehearsing for the Dangerous Tour and I rolled up like I, I think three days before everything was to be shipped <laughs> wow three days before the end of the rehearsals you know? oh. it was crazy and uh, a lot of tweaking and a lot of cleaning up to do um, but yeah, it was like two or three days before everything was gone. And then, and then I, I well, and then I spent the you know certainly the next month at least um, tweaking you know, more on the road. But uh, it was crazy. But yeah, um, Michael was good to work with uh, to a point, and then it got to a point where you know it was more difficult to get access to him. Mm-hmm. And things that I cared about, I started to realize that it, it didn't matter to him, and, and that was disappointing. Mm. Um, and uh, so it got to a point where I I couldn't continue on. Oh no, that would be a phone call. Hang it's on, okay, yeah. who's this? Oh. <laughs> But anyway, so we're continuing this uh, interview. Greg yes. so generously said, well, you can come with me to my uh, 
my appointment. I got just an appointment. Would you just, yeah, yeah, we're just riding the car. So, we're in the car. Car talk. Car talk. Um, man. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna squeeze everything I can out of these minutes. Okay. Let's see. We talked about Michael, which we could keep talking about all that. <laughs> That was you know, basic I have a lot of guitar players that listen to this. Yeah. I mean, you've worked with, man, I mean, Eric Clapton. That's a guitar player. David Gilmore. That's another guitar player. I mean, you know, and then all the great studio cats, you know. Um, well, there's Paul George Jackson Harrison. That's another guitar oh, player. Oh, sorry. I skipped over him. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about, I don't know, what's it like working with Eric Clapton? Uh, <laughs> well, I never, ever, ever imagined that my overall understanding and appreciation of the blues would come from a skinny white British guy. <laughs> I can assure you that. And um, what I learned from him was just invaluable. And, and um, one of the biggest personal highlights for me was when we did 24 Nights at Albert Hall, it was based off wow. of yeah, I know, it was crazy. I mean, because every year after you know when I joined his band, rather after I joined, you do a series of shows at uh, Albert Hall, and it started out as let's see, I think it started out as six, and then another the next year was twelve, and the next year was eighteen, and the next year was twenty four. Wow! And the twenty four were based off of six shows of four different configurations so there was the four piece for six shows there was the big band for six shows there was the big band and the orchestra for six shows and there were, were there was the blues band for six shows so it turned out that because of Eric's graciousness in trusting me um, I ended up doing three of the six nights with the blues band and I was on organ. Do you know That's the, deep, man. You know the pressure in trying to live up to that? And I don't even know why. I think it was because someone someone else wasn't available on organ and I can't even remember who that other person was. It's so really foggy. But I just remember um, being asked to play three of the six nights on organ on blues in the in the band shows in the in the blues band shows and it was just incredible so because of that that means i did 21 nights wow i did 21 of those nights i did all the the um four piece all the big band all the big band and orchestra and half of the blues nights so that's 21 nights yeah. isn't that great You're on. What was that? I mean, you're on a bunch of the records, but 
that track Forever Man? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not on Forever Man. But you're on that record, August, right? Was that? Well, Forever Man, I believe, was on the Behind the Sun album. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm playing on. I'm playing with Nathan East on Something's Happening, and I think maybe one more on Behind the Sun, and then. Um, Eric recruited Phil Collins to produce the August album and um, Phil didn't know who I was but I was uh, brought in I think between Nate I probably Nate brought me in and um, I remember Phil rather was kind of hesitant about um, keyboard players because he felt keyboard players generally overplay mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he didn't realize I actually had taste so um uh, we got along just famously well. It was it was a love affair uh, at first sight, literally, and it was just the four of us. Wow. And you know, we had uh, Tina Turner come in to do backgrounds on uh, one of the songs. I think it was called "Hold On." And you know, we did a song that uh, was given to us by. Uh, Lamont Dozier and um, you know we just did a bunch of cool stuff and, and it was just so much fun we had non-stop laughs and we didn't want it to end and finally when the when the project was over oh and by the way I, I co-wrote a song too I co-wrote uh, Tearing This Apart and um but Clapton uh, cut one of your songs, right? It, uh, well, he was cut he cut the mask behind the mask, and it's funny that people think it's my song, but I actually got that song from Michael Jackson. Wow! And Michael wrote that with Ryuichi Sakamoto of the Yellow Magic Yellow Orchestra. Magic Orchestra, right? And because it, it was a it was an instrumental track called Behind the Mask, but he put this melody and lyrics to it, and it was like it was. Uh, like a Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops vibe, you know, and it was really funky and bluesy and cool and everything. Uh, on top of this really robotic Japanese instrumental track, you know, dun, 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 and he's like, "Who do you love? Is it me, babe?" You know, and he's just killing it, you know. And um, uh, so yes, uh, Eric ended up redoing that as well. But when that project was over, we didn't want it to end, and so Eric's manager saw Dollar Sign, so he devised a little tour, a little regional tour in, in um, you know, southern France and, you know, a couple other places in Europe, and that's how that started. And Phil toured with us, and we also did Montreux, wow. and then we came here and did an American tour, just the four of us, and we slayed. Oh, man. We killed them, man. It was, and we played like Madison Square Garden and the Forum here in L.A. Yeah. And I was so excited to play the Forum because that, made, that meant I got to go in the Lakers locker room. <laughs> and I saw, I, I, I actually walked, I stepped into the showers, and like all the showers are eight feet tall. <laughs> they're ten, you know, they're huge. I and didn't I notice that last night. I was there. Oh, yeah. Now, they're, hopefully they're still one of the... Um, shower areas with, with the original um, showers for the players but it was crazy um, and that was an incredible tour but then you know uh, Phil couldn't s- stay with us because he had this other little band uh, that he, he had to go back yeah, to yeah this little tour. side project yeah that little side project so he was dealing with that and uh, but you know we just had so and then the, the band grew um a little bit. We we, we got uh, 
Steve Steve Ferroni um, to replace Phil. And, he doesn't and suck. Him. He does not suck, my friend. Um, so yeah, it, it just that was the beginning of that experience, and then I'm also on um, the uh, Journeyman album, which is just one of my favorites of all time, and, and uh, that was such a powerful um, record for to me, you know, yeah, fantastic man. songs, and just, you know, and the tour, the Journeyman tour was also pretty special. How long would you go, what would be the longest you would go out for, like a, a major tour like that, one stretch? Would it be like six months or something? Oh, yeah, easily. When I was with Michael, easily. Wow. And uh, the the bad tour was, I don't know, it was, uh, it was a long one. <laughs> it was at least 18 months, but not not uh, consecutively. I mean, there were some breaks, but yeah. it's a long tour, you know. So... It's funny, I hear musicians talk about, man, I gotta go out for six weeks. I go, man, I spit on six weeks. I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I, uh, I've since stopped touring. I just can't stand being away from my family for long periods of time. And I, Sure. Uh, I've done it, man. I mean, please. I get it. Who totally. else is there to go with? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, exactly what else are you gonna do? <laughs> I just thought of something. Will Lee is a. a, a Give him a shout out because he listens to the podcast. Hey, Will. Will, what's up, baby? You know and, I love you. And um, I asked him about the Nightfly, which I believe you played on the Nightfly. I believe as well. I, yes. And I believe you right. got any stories about those sessions where it was Donald Fagan? Are they? I know they're notoriously picky and finicky. And well, I have several. Solo. I have several stories. Well, okay. here's the thing. <laughs> thing about because I knew going in about you know how notorious Donald and Walter were for just abusing musicians and just literally taking the piss on them and musicians walking away from those experience those experiences like it was a badge of honor it's like yeah man i got abused by Walter and Donald it's great you know <laughs> but they did crazy stuff like you know a, a kick drum sound for a week cuz they could yeah. they knew they could do that <laughs> and musicians were actually you know, hungry to do those kinds of insane things that I'm sure Donald and Walter would just sit back and laugh. I can't believe we pulled this shit off. You know, like we, we can do crazy stuff like this. Um, and these guys would take it. But so I, 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 Gary Katz, I don't know how he got in touch with me, but he called me in to do the Nightfly project, which was, uh, you know, Donald's first solo record. And again, I went in, you know, kind of being mentally prepared for what could happen. But it never did. Donald was really gracious, and um, he actually let me get away with several liberties, you know. Like one thing, um, on the Goodbye Luck, for instance, the the intro, the way it starts off, he wanted me to do a marimba solo. Mm. And so I did uh, several takes, and the last two he liked. So we played the second to the last take, and then we played the last take, and he couldn't make up his mind. So I said, well, let's put them together. Oh. Borrowing from an old trick that Stevie did when he did the two, two the dual harmonica solo in Too High. Mm. So I said, let's just play them back together. So he did, and he liked it. And that's oh. why there's two uh, marimba solos on that.
then, um, let's see. On IGY, which was the first thing I ever played on, the first song uh, from the project I ever played on, it was just me and the drum machine that they called Wendell. <laughs> and it was just me on uh, uh, this Rhodes piano. And it was such a gorgeous sound. And the song was fantastic, you know. Uh, it was just hauntingly beautiful. And I remember loving it so much that I would go through the t- the entire song and then just near the end I'd mess up and say oh sorry can we start again <laughs> like I would mess I'd mess up intentionally I, would, I, just, I just wanted to keep playing it wow and, that's a great track and it really is and then everything else was built on top of the roads Maxine, everybody thinks that I came up with the intro, but nope, sorry folks, it was all Donald. That was all written, note for note. Um, But at the end of it, there's several changes at the very end, and um, Donald's holding a note vocally, and just the background and everything, and I'm just, I just got hit with the spirit and I just started playing wildly over all the changes just soloing and I couldn't help myself I just launched into this you know intense playing over all the changes at the very end and he kept that that's why I do this podcast who's ever going to know this stuff Uh, who cares oh no a lot of people care okay fine well for those of you who do that's what happened and then another thing when we did um, uh, Walk Between the Raindrops Mm -hmm. he wanted me to play um, an upright bass sound on the synth so I was like, cool, you know, so I started playing it and he actually stopped and said, no, play like this. He actually instructed me to take physical breaths between each note to replicate the spacing of an upright book. And wow. that's what I did. That's and that's why it sounds like that. Brilliant. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Where so, were those sessions in, in LA or in New no, York? No, New York. New York. I flew to New York, man, and hung out with him. We went to a club, man. He took me to a club to see Roy Haynes. That was the first time I ever saw Roy Haynes. And um, as a matter of fact, it might have been that same club, but that was the last time I saw Jocko. And Jocko stumbled in, and he was all jacked up. He was drunk and everything, and he was like, ah, you're ratting and everything. Wow. And it was really kind of sad, but that was the last time I saw Jocko. Man. Hanging out with Donald Fagan. I want to be so, you when I grow up, Greg. Oh, no, no, you know, You want to be infinitely better. No, man. <laughs> Um, it, trust me, uh, Sugar Shane and all of those listening, it, it ain't just, you know, I'm telling you really incredible, glitzy, glamour, glamour stories, but for every one of those stories, I got 20 not so good stories. Yeah. Well, they're still above average stories. <laughs> yeah. You know, to, I'll you give know. you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, are we at your place? We're close, but oh, we're gonna keep is, going. This is awesome. Man. No, no, I'm gonna tell you what. Yeah, I this this won't be enough. You would, no, this won't can... be enough because if it's not enough, no, after my appointment, we'll drive some more. No, this is enough. No, listen, I we haven't even scratched the surface. You know this. You do know this. Right? <laughs> I do know this. Okay. And I'm, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. No, I, it's fine, man. I, you're a, a, a good friend, and I haven't seen you in way too long. And we said we wanted to hang out, so. Uh, what better way to hang out than this? Driving around my town, 
I in my car. Yeah, this is really great. On my way to my physio appointment. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. That's from playing all them voices. <laughs> all them voices. Like Max, the voices. That's <laughs> like Voicing smack. Yeah. Well, voices, voicings. It's the voices. same. Who are some of the, the, the fave studio cat guitar players you like? Since I got a couple guitar players listening to this. I mean, the, the Paul uh, Jacksons, Michael Thompson. Paul Thompson's. Jackson Jr., Michael Thompson for sure. Steve Lukather, absolutely. Yeah, man. Uh, Dean Parks, my yeah. God, the guy can play anything and has. <laughs> my main man, my main man, Jay Graydon. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, <laughs> hey man. He's, he's sort of been retired a long time, right? No, just more reclusive. He, he's okay. not retired. He's just turned into uh, not not Hugh Hefner, but uh, the guy that. Um, oh yeah, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, yeah. But uh, no, he's he's still around. I hadn't talked to him in a while. It's been like so. Those are you know some. Yeah, more, that's the creme de la creme. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, I know exactly where we are. You know to, yeah, we're up See? by Sportsman's. Yeah, see, I ate at yeah, this right res- one of these restaurants with Harry. I was I was here. I did this Spinal Tap thing with Harry Shear, uh-huh. right? And I uh, rehearsed, and we ate at one of these places. It might have been this. Huh? See, it was like a few months ago. It's crazy. But uh, anyway, um, when I met you briefly, when you were doing the Vibe show, it was a guy Toshi. Toshi Inagi. And he's still he's with Jimmy... Uh, he's on the Kimmel show. Kimmel, yeah. yeah. But I love him. He's also uh, very tasty. And, you know, his work ethic is unparalleled. I mean, he... You give him an assignment, man, and he'll come back, and it'll be exactly what you need and better. Because we were doing a TV show, so, uh, you know, you had to... You had to learn uh, a wide variety of genres... Uh, in a short period of time and he always did his homework and he always came prepared and he would reproduce exactly what I needed and I loved him for it now when you were MDing a show like Vibe that's back before email was as you know <laughs> but would you write out charts or would, how would you do that MD we'd uh, I'd have a librarian you know and, and uh, she would distribute uh, the songs and um yeah, there were charts involved, but many times it was just listening to the original and just getting a vibe and doing it on the spot. Because we, we wouldn't have to play entire pieces unless we were backing up a guest artist, uh-huh. right? So um, outside of that, it was just snippets of bumpers. favorite songs of yeah, bumpers, uh, favorite songs of ours that that. Um, you know, we we had permission to do. There it is. So uh, that's what we would do, and everybody was uh, you know really fast, study, quick learners, and and uh, so skilled. Like you know, we had Alex Al on bass and Terry Lynn Carrington on drums. Wow, know? I didn't know she was. Oh playing shoot, drums, yeah, huh? and not and not only did she play, she sang. So and Peter Michael, crazy Peter Michael, Sheila E's brother, on percussion. So I. I had the best band on late night TV. Sorry. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, Short lived, unfortunately. Yeah. But guess who did our last show? Who's that? Prince. So they talk about going out with a bang. There no, you go. Yeah, that guy. Oh, let me tell you about that guy. So we, uh, when I first got the gig on Vibe, 
one of the artists I wanted to play a lot of, obviously, was Prince. But we, we were told early on that we could only play 1999. So I would just play the hell out of that every chance I got, right? So then time, all this time passes, and then now it's time for our final show. And so Prince is the artist. And uh, I say to him, man, you know, oh, he actually paid me a compliment. He says, you know, I really like the way you do uh, 1999. It makes me want <laughs> to do it like that, too. Because we would do it like the, you know, original tempo or whatever. I said, well, I appreciate it, but I'm just doing it the way you did it on the records, you know. I said, by the way, man, you know, I wanted to play a whole lot more of your stuff, but, you know, you, I didn't have permission. He goes, you could have played whatever you want. I'm like, well, now you're telling yeah, me. And I said the same thing. I said the like... same thing to his his attorney, Londell, and he says, oh, no, you could have played with I'm like, well, no, it's... Yeah, you would have done it and you would have Come got on, a cease man. and desist. Exactly. So, needless to say, I was highly frustrated about that. But Oh, such is life. I just thought of a funny story. Greg's pulling in his appointment, but I got to tell you. You remember we did that gig with Boz at Canyon Club and David Page was coming to sit in and you said, Hey, you said, hey, Sugar Shane, help, let's play a joke on, help me play a joke on David Page. Let's flip all his keyboards upside down oh, no. and flip the stool upside down. And when Did he I gets do here, that? Yeah, and you said, he'll think it's funny. And I'm thinking, all right, man, whatever. <laughs> so we flipped all his stuff upside down. Did that really happen? Yeah, we did it. Oh, it happened. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I was really crazy. That's a tight parking spot. It's, kind of, it's tight in there. Well, it looks like this dude's know. leaving. Oh, well, I'm trying to think where we left off. You were talking about Eric Clapton. And then David yeah. Gilmore. I mentioned David Gilmore. Yeah. Well, I can certainly talk about him. Whatever you want to talk about, that would be great. I don't know a lot okay. about David Gilmore, actually. I'm, I'm a uh, fan, but... Yeah. Well, you know, one of the uh, cornerstones of Pink Floyd. Innovative, brilliant, soulful quietly passionate um, wonderful guy I met him you know in the, in the early days with Eric and I remember uh, my first Floyd experience was seeing them live at the Palace of Versailles wow <laughs> okay these guys don't know how to put man they had their their genius lighting designer uh Mark Brickman, who I never, I didn't realize, I didn't know who he was, I didn't realize he was the one that was behind all this stuff until years later. But man, Mark Brickman is a genius. This guy was crazy enough to light the entire Palace of Versailles in pink. I saw it myself. It was on, and then, and this is while I was on tour with Michael. Um, and then my second encounter with them was, uh, I think, Texas Stadium. They played a stadium, and I remember hanging out with David um, and some other folks. Way we were perched, way up high, someplace in a room overlooking the entire stadium, and we were watching the crew tear down. You know, I had met him, you know, through Eric in my early days with him, mm. and we hung out a little bit and talked very little, stayed in touch very, very little. But you know, um, I had his number, and we would talk every once in a while. Um, but not very often at all. And then many, many years we just lost touch. And um, someone 
emailed me and said that there was a, a guy who's the manager of uh, Jules Holland who wanted my contact information. So I thought, all right. So I gave it to him. Next thing I know, I get an email from David <laughs> saying, right, it's been an age. Fancy a tour. I'm like, first nice. of all, how did you even find it? How oh, did you even you. remember me? How did you even find... And um, I was absolutely blown away. And I thought, okay, this is another one of those crazy examples of, I don't want to tour anymore. Besides, who else is? Who else would I tour with? Well, you really going to turn down a tour exactly. with David Gilmore? No. So that's how I spent my summer two years ago. That was two years ago? Yeah. I didn't know, realize it was that recent. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, that is a good summer. Yeah, that didn't suck. And I'm too sure bad. it was pretty cush treatment. Cush? Well, we had our own jet. And it wasn't a little rinky dink four seater. I mean it was massive. Uh, and there was first class and Uber first class. Yeah. And um, not that I know but I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we usually sat in the first class section, but I did sit in the Uber first class section once with David and his wife. And there's like, there's, uh, in the middle of the plane, there's like a whole area that's sectioned off, and that's the bedroom. <laughs> wow. And there was an actual bed in there and everything. Uh, wonderful plane, and we, we were always met with a fleet of Mercedes, uh, SUVs that you know took us from the tarmac to the hotel and the hotel to the I mean it was crazy it was awesome and you know we didn't play like just rinky dink arenas like the normal kind of, course of stuff he did he did he did arenas during the during the American portion of the tour but that was before I joined you know he played the garden and he played uh, the form and he also played the bowl but that was again before I joined when I joined it was just for the European leg but we did places like you know Circus Maximus um and you know the uh the Coliseum in um oh god where where Mount Vesuvius is um where is it I don't know what we're gonna do I don't know what we're gonna do we're going to park in Whole Foods. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> was it mostly, um, was it a mix of uh, American and English musicians, or were you yeah. the only American guy? No, there was Steve DeStanislaw on drums. Fantastic drummer. Great guy, lovely guy. Uh, and we had British background singers, and uh, <laughs> the irascible Guy Pratt. Oh, Guy Pratt. He played bass for On bass, long. yes. And uh, okay, oh, that's a great brand. shot. Yeah. He's showing me a shot of David Gilmore. Yeah, in the costume, but I can't. Wow. I, I, I will tell you the name of it in a second. And then that was it by day. And then this is them working on the lighting oh, at man. night. And then wait a minute, wait. That's the final part. Wow. Come on, come on, come on. Wow, come on, come on. Wow. Where am I getting? I wish I could. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get to the punchline of this here, and then you're going to really be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here we are at Whole Foods. You need Whole anything? Whole Foods, no. Okay. Right, right by the 405. Right by the 405. See, it's freeway close. 
Um, hang on, we'll just find a place to park. Perfect spot. It's good, right? Got some good parking carver today, Gray. Yeah, Wait. that's pretty good, right? Oh, should I park it? No, I, I won't park here. I'll leave that for someone else. Very thoughtful. Well, you know. Happens that way. Uh, could be a blessing to somebody else. Um, so now we will do this and we will park in the shade. In the shade. Huh? How about that? That's how we do it. Okay, so now wait a minute now. Wait. Wait a minute. Pompeii! Oh, Pompeii. It was Pompeii. Okay. It was the Colosseum in Pompeii. Because you did a uh, recording, right? Or a video or something. Yes, we did a video. And the reason why is because the last time David played Pompeii, it was a live concert with no audience. Oh. And it was Pink Floyd did a whole uh, film there. But they didn't bring in an audience. And then the only other time there was an event there... Gladiators were involved. <laughs> Which was a little ways back. A little ways back. So I go to Pompeii and in the catacombs in the underneath the Colosseum is a whole exhibition on Pink Floyd. Wow. So this is me standing in the Colosseum with my nice straw hat because nice you know you, you had it well, you know, that's David rocks a brim, so I I wanted to be like him, so I got it. Straw brim, and then and this is on the grounds there, mm. and uh, this is the entrance of the exhibition, and it's completely dedicated to Pink Floyd. Uh, museum. Yeah, it's like a whole museum and the artifacts and stuff, and it shows you the empty Coliseum and and how they set it up for the band back then. Oh. And uh, see Pink Floyd Why live at Pompeii, except there was no audience. Only they could do some crazy stuff like that. And there's this whole, see, the whole story, the making of every, and that's the, you know, the whole walkway. And it's, this is on each side of the Coliseum. Wow. You know, a very young, sexy David, you know, and this is a shot of them, you know, during Back the filming. And I, I just took all these pictures, man, and it was fantastic. I didn't realize it was that recent. Two years ago. Three years yeah. ago. Yeah. What, my tour? Yeah, it was yeah. 2016, two years ago. Um, it must be nice to just say, you know what? I'm going to put a band together. I'm going to call my friend Greg, Phil and Gaines, <laughs> I haven't seen forever. And I fancy a tour. It's been an age. You fancy a tour? Actually, that wasn't him. And, you know, money's but, yeah. not an issue, I'm sure, for him. So well, just get it, the best it, cats. And, well, it was, it was, well, he does have a manager, and his manager is, uh, very much, you know, dedicated to saving pounds. Pounds, because he knows how crazy David can get. But uh, no, it was a good time. It was a good tour, and uh, you know, um, I was young, mm -hmm. Lauren. But uh, yeah, it was it was just incredible. I mean, it really, really was. And oh, you're gonna you're gonna like this. I want to show you how. They took care of me, how Mark took care of me. Um, but, and by the way, that's Mark Rickman. Oh. <laughs> the most unlikely looking person to be the mad lighting genius that he is. But that's... <laughs> uh, let's see. I want to show you how he lit me for a specific part of the show. Well, first of all, this is how we were all lit. Oh, wow. 
Man, that's beautiful. Look at that. That's now there, that's the money shot right there. That's the Coliseum, and that's Mount Vesuvius in the background. <laughs> Pretty spectacular. That is unbelievable. Um, shots. And look at this. Wow. And there I am. There's your boy right there in the corner. It's like a dream catcher or something. There you go. Yeah, there I am. There you go. But where do you see how I was lit? And then I'll tell you the song that I was lit for. It's going to blow you away. Um, I was lit like this. Mm. Do you know what that's for? The intro to Shine On. Now imagine the intro in your head and look at that. And that's me doing the whole mm. synth intro. That's how he lit me. And you know I milked it, man. Like, oh, I'm um, sure you did. Cow. <laughs> Every second I just totally... Basking milked. in it. Yeah, basking in it. And so that's... Yeah. But, yeah, it was just incredibly enjoyable. And, uh, you know... Nice work if you can get it, folks. Nice work if you can get it. You know, that sort of thing. Um, but we played one place that was a backdrop for a Bond movie. Mm. Um, it was this castle and, and this, you know, incredible grounds, you know. on a Mick Jagger record, right? I worked on a uh, Mick Jagger's... Primitive I think, Cool? Yeah, Primitive And I think that was his first solo record, right? Yeah. I and think. I, I don't know. I think so. But, yeah, what was he like to work with? Is he cool? He was really cool. And um, I was brought in by Dave Stewart. Oh, wow. So I'm in a room with Dave Stewart and Mick, and uh, they were just cool. They were just straight ahead, really cool, unassuming, and uh, fun to work with. And, and the cool thing about Mick is he... I believe he remembers me to this day because of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, Mick is just a cool... I, I, I have great respect for Mick because, you know, he's one of those guys that should have been dead 15 times. But, you know, he he takes touring seriously. He takes incredible care of himself. He has no body fat whatsoever. Last time I saw him, I said, dude, you have no body fat at all. And he's just slim and svelte. And, you know, he takes it seriously. And he does what he has to do to prepare for the big tours. But it was it was great work with him for the little time I did. It was one of them. Have you ever gotten... I'm going to go way off... off uh... Ask me anything. Have you and you don't have to mention names, but okay. have you ever been on a session and work or work with an artist where you it, something went wrong and you just left, walked <laughs> out, walked out of a session? No, I, Jeff Procaro walked out of a uh, session. The Rick Lee I, Jones one. Yeah, but uh, no, but I've had some challenges, but you know what? I can't even really remember them because mm -hmm. there there weren't many. That's yeah, for sure. well, your personality. I don't see how it could escalate to that, but. No, I just really tried to um, reverse the dynamic that I learned about. In other words, um, the first time I went to work with... No, not actually not the first time. It was, uh, it was the second time that I worked with uh, Paul Simon. Paul Simon. 
<laughs> Please edit this. Uh, no, I thought you were uh, saying Paul McCartney. Yeah, Paul, with no, you it could be anybody. No, well, yeah, you know? no, but I I worked with him too. But I Paul, know. Paul Simon. You know, I was working on. Let's see, it was Rhythm of the Saints, and um, Roy Halley was you know producer engineer, and I remember um, Roy sort of giving me a heads up that you know well, you know Paul's really. You know, he can be temperamental and, you know, kind of like giving me a heads up to tread lightly kind of thing. And I just thought, well, you know what? Thanks. But I, I just made up my mind that I was going to charm the pans off of them. And that's exactly what I did. And the first day was the first day and, and we, we got along just fine. And uh, I kind of broke the ice because, you know, it was like this kind of underlying tension and it wasn't anything really intense, but it was an underlying tension. And I just decided I was going to break the ice and, and uh, just try to make him feel as comfortable as possible. By the second day, he came in and he made popcorn. <laughs> made popcorn for me, like we're hanging out, meaning his popcorn. So, you know, just like the story about Donald um, Fagan, I just, I just decided I was going to not be victim to the stories I'd heard about, you know, and just try to change things to where, uh, you know, we would uh, make the experience more enjoyable. Well, that answers that. <laughs> okay. My thoughts of, yeah, I mean, I was just curious because. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were some, every, every once in a while there was a really annoying producer who would, I think those were the, the, the ones that would irritate me like every once in a while there'd be a producer who you know wanted to act like he knew what he was talking about and didn't have a clue and you know trying to posture himself as you know being of some great importance and excuse me and or just talking in weird terms like I needed to sound more yellow (laughs) and you know your your mission as a session musician is to to uh, interpret that and reproduce it in a way that you know works for the producer but no there there weren't too many times in those unfortunately mm-hmm. is there anybody that you haven't worked with that you would that's still alive maybe that I mean I can't imagine who you haven't worked with but that's still alive I um I don't think so. Yeah. Well, that's not surprising. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? But, I mean, I never got to work with Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, he had me sit in with him at a club in London one mm. time after a show. Um, I I went to this club because I heard it was going to be there, you know, doing an after show set. And I go in and uh, I find... Bonnie Boyer, one of his uh, keyboard players. We just got totally lost in this conversation. We were totally engaged and, uh, you know, having a wonderful time. It was during a break, and uh, I didn't notice anyone or anything else around me. You know, we were just totally engrossed in this conversation. And we were sitting at, at the edge of the stage. All of a sudden, I feel this little wet, clammy hand take my wrist, and I look up, and he, and he says, I know you. Do you want to play? I went, 
Okay. Next thing you know, I'm on stage with friends. Wow, man. And we're playing like, you know, top old old uh, soul classic hits like "I'll Take You There" and stuff. Just my imagination and all this kind of thing. And, and at one point, you know, he's playing and he walked over to me and sat next to me while playing. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. So you did sort of work. I sort of well once. I mean, you played, played music with him. I played music yeah. with him one time. So that was so, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and and um, unfortunately, I never even got to meet John. But I have. I can say that I've worked with three out of four Beatles. Not many sorry. people can say that. Yeah. I don't know anybody except maybe Jim Keltner. Yeah. Jim can say he's worked with all of them, but. Uh, yeah, three wow. out of four. Because I played a, a a Grammy segment with Ringo. We did photograph um, at a Grammy some years ago, and it was uh, around the time that the Beatles were being honored. They did a Grammy TV special honoring the Beatles, celebrating their 50th anniversary of their appearance on The Sullivan Show. And, you know... Um, Don was was the band was the uh, MD and I basically just willed myself in that band I said Don you're gonna hire me for that show I'm doing that show I'm just letting you know I'm doing the show <laughs> like really you wanna do like, what do you mean do I want to do are you crazy of course I wanna do it <laughs> so um he was backstage last night by the way Don yeah well, when did I, I missed him yeah he was what? back there hanging out though yeah oh that's so crazy but, uh, well, that's cool, man. Yeah. That's... So I did that, and, um, you know, the, the, the feeling of, like, after this, or let me just explain this. After that show, after the taping of that show, because it was with, uh, you know, obviously Paul and, and Ringo, and at the end of it, all of us stood in sort of like a receiving line, and they thanked each and every one of us. They came and shook our hand. Now, you have to understand, I'm standing there looking at Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr thanking me for participating in their celebration of their 50th anniversary of their Sullivan appearance. And I'm going, no, 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 you don't understand. It's sort of backwards, right? You don't really understand right now what is happening to me. I'm quaking in my skin because I saw you when I was eight years old on Sullivan and I never ever imagined that I'd be standing here listening to you tell me thank you do you understand what is happening to me right, right. now and it was just otherworldly it was just so surreal wow. it was I mean it's one of a million blessings that I thank God for every day but uh, mm. you know it's just crazy it's crazy and then of course touring Japan with George with Eric it's just like really so um Eric convinced George that you know he should do a little tour and he said well you can use my band so next thing you know we're all together and we, we pull up uh, to Tokyo and we're, st we're at the Capital Tokyo Hotel which I don't even think exists anymore and we're all in George's suite and the TV's on right and on the TV, they're showing footage of when the Beatles pulled up to the exact same hotel we're oh staying in. God. And I'm sitting there, <laughs> and I'm looking, and I'm going, okay, wait a minute. I'm sitting here in the suite of a Beatle looking at footage of when 
the rest of his band pulled up to the same hotel that we're in now. This is crazy. That is crazy. But you want to hear something even crazier? Sure. Right. So, like, George became a buddy, like, like a buddy of mine. And I had visited him twice at his house. And the second time, uh, you know, I let him know that... Uh, oh, and by the way, he also hung out with me, or I hung out with him, rather, when he came to L.A. Uh, once. And I have to tell you that quick story. So uh, I picked him up. I don't remember where he was, but I picked him up, and um, we're driving down La Cienega. Uh, to go to a restaurant in Beverly Hills because he loves Indian food mm. and he wanted to go to a place called the Bombay Palace and I knew where it was but I you know I'm not an Indian food fan but I when George Harrison says he wants yeah, to was. yeah I was that day so um, we go there and we just had a nice little meal and so every time I pass the Bombay Palace on Wilshire in Beverly Hills I go the only time I was ever in there was with George Harrison mm. so then uh, the last time I visited him at his house, um, we're hanging out, and he met me at the door. He opens the door, and there he is standing there with cornrows in his hair. I'm like, really? <laughs> I didn't expect this, George. I'm like, how do you even? How did you even get this? Yeah, who did this? Who did this? You're like wearing corn. He goes, what do you think? I go, actually, you're pulling it off pretty well. I mean, I, I really did not see this coming, like George Harrison and cornrows. I wish to God I took a picture, but I, I don't know why I didn't take a picture. Oh, God. But this, so I, George and Cornrows, I'm like, okay, well, this is different. So we're hanging out. And um, at some point later on, he goes, right, do you want to hear the new single then? And I go, okay. Next thing you know, I'm in the bedroom, and I'm sitting down on the floor, and he puts the tape on, and the next thing I know, I'm hearing, free. As a bird. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm transfixed because I'm trying to wrap around in my mind that I'm at the home in the bedroom of a beetle sitting on the floor listening to the last single that they ever did. And I'm having my own world premiere of it. And it, it, it was just That's like, unbelievable, man. I, I can't begin to tell you the... F <laughs> I don't know how I lasted, but uh, yeah. Wow, great. Yeah, yeah that's You great. have to write a book, man. I keep hearing that, and I don't know. I mean, I maybe I will, I don't know. I think a lot of people would love to read it. I would, for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Man, that's a... <laughs> Pretty amazing life, man. And it's still getting more and more amazing. Yeah, it is. But I believe me, for every one of those stories, I got 10 really bad ones. Yeah, I, I get it. But, well, man, I think I have plenty. Like, it's almost okay. overwhelming the amount of cool <laughs> shit I have now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know we could go on and on. But, oh, boy. Um, but I appreciate your time, Greg. Well, it's thank so you. great it's just, hanging with you, man. It is great hanging with you. My goodness, long. it's been way too. That's why I wanted to do it. That's why I just decided we have to. And this is a rare, an extremely rare moment. I mean, my wife and kids are gone. They've been gone all day. It and, is rare. And uh, so this is really rare. So I believe this was God ordained. So I'm just happy oh, thanks, to man. see you, man. And uh, I hope 
the interview works out and I've said oh, it's going to work I out. can make some kind of sense at the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I sat with Greg at his chiropractor appointment. Come on, man. Thought up some new questions for you while you were getting adjusted. <laughs> yeah. It's Life's great. pretty cool, man. Not it's bad. Not bad. You know? And, and you got a scone out of the deal. I got a great My scone. My wife's wife homemade made. scones. Yeah. You know? It's soba, and then a few years later, I get a scone. See? And then now I need to reciprocate at some point, whenever I see you again. Okay, you got it. I'll take you to dinner next time. <laughs> okay. Know any good Indian restaurants? Uh, oh, let me think about that. <laughs> well, I love you. Thanks so much. Oh, man. It's been Thank great. you, bro. All right. Hey, everybody. If you're still here, I hope you enjoyed that. I mean, there was some great stuff in there with Greg. I really enjoyed that hang. It put a big smile on my face hearing it again a few months later. So once again, if you like what you hear, drop me a note. Give me a good ratings on iTunes. Check out some of my, my solo records. Check out some of the other episodes on the podcast. Got a lot of great people on there. Last one was Sammy Hagar. Um, I don't know who will be next, but we'll see. <laughs>